Welcome to Queer Spirituality, the podcast. I'm your host, Julian Crossenhill. This podcast is about an idea. It's the radical idea that queerness is a gift and that the divine celebrates it rather than merely accepts it. We'll explore the special role that queer people are meant to play in the coming spiritual awakening. Through the lives and stories of queer people, we'll explore the many ways of approaching the divine and how the sacred reveals itself in everyday actions. Most of all, this is a podcast about love. It's about the love of the universe. It's about love between people. And it's about the love a community can share with one another. Thank you for joining me. Welcome to this episode of the Queer Spirituality Podcast. I'm your host, Julian Crossan Hill, and with me today is a very special guest. Storm Fairy Wolf is a professional author, experienced teacher, visionary poet, and practicing warlock. He was trained in various streams of witchcraft, most notably the fairy tradition, where he holds the black wand of a master. He is a chancellor of Modern Witch University, a co-founder of Black Rose, an online course in modern folkloric witchcraft, a columnist for The Wild Hunt, and is the host of the Witch Power Daily Podcast. He has written several books, including The Stars Within the Earth, Betwixt and Between, The Witch's Name, and The Satyr's Kiss. For more, you can visit his website at fairywolf.com. Hi, and welcome to the show, Storm. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we've known each other a while, and so I'm lo- really looking forward to to digging into this conversation. Um, you've done, you know, as your bio outlined, a lot of things and been in a lot of traditions. One question I always like to sort of start my with my guests with is, what does que- que- ah, what does queer spirituality mean to you? I, you know, for me, it's it certainly changed over the years, um, but the one constant for me is the recognition that we need to center ourselves and our queer experiences in our spirituality. I, I think that so many people see our sexuality and our spirituality as something that is separate or even at odds with one another. And I think that a healthy queer spirituality reconciles that. It brings it together and honors our sexuality. It honors our desire, the the pleasures of the body as being something that is a core spiritual belief. Yeah, that's wonderful. I've always sort of said the same as well, that queer spirituality needs to be sex positive because being queer is inherently sexual. And we need to have that ability to incorporate our sexuality into our spirituality. So I love that definition. You use the word warlock, and I know that you're probably getting tired of explaining it because it comes up a lot in interviews with you. But for people who are new to you or your work, just high level, short, give us the short version, <laughs> you know, 
why why warlock and not witch like so many other people are are doing today yeah no that's a great question and and I'm not tired about talking about it. I've reconciled to the fact that I'm going to need to keep talking about it because it does kind of go against the grain of, of societal witchcraft, we'll say, which is a kind of a funny thing in itself. But, but for me, I use warlock first and foremost because it is the de dictionary definition. You know, it is a male witch. You know, if you look at the dictionary, that's what it is. A lot of pagans will take exception to that because they've bought into a story and it is a story. Um, that somehow this is a negative, it's an insult, you know, within the witchcraft community. And they base that on the original definition of the word, an earlier etymon, which says that the word meant an oathbreaker, a deceiver, right, a liar. This was someone who broke a covenant. Um, but we can also look at that and realize, well, it was a Christian era word. It, it didn't really exist before the Christian era. So whose covenants are you breaking? You know, um, so it's it's specifically about going against the Christian societal grain. Um, and, and, and it was used primarily for men. And so it has that masculine, you know, quote unquote, vibe, you know, to it. How the reason that I use that, and I also use witch, I, I will use them interchangeably. I do acknowledge that witch can be a gender neutral term. However, it's still, the word witch still carries a decidedly feminine um, kind of backstory. And that's fine. Um, however, for somebody like me, you know, I grew up as a gay boy in the 70s and 80s and, you know, kind of claiming my right to be male was a big life battle of mine. You know, I was always told that, oh, well, I would never be a real man, you know, because the real man was a heterosexual, also white, but, you know, you know, so, you know, you, you fit into, you have to fit into this very narrow parameter, you know, in order to be able to be masculine. And so, so part of my life work in this is to redefine what masculinity is. You know, I didn't, I identify as a man, you know, I'm a gay man, um, cisgendered gay man. And um, that's been something I've had to fight for. Because again, there's told, well, that's not real masculinity, you know, and I'm here to say, well, no, masculinity is what we make of it. I'm just embodying masculinity in a different way. And so I'm trying to say, hey, there's more choices here. But when I call myself a warlock, I do get something akin to a sort of gender euphoria, because it is affirming my gender, right? Something that I was told that I, I couldn't have. So, so for some, somebody like me, it can be a really powerful word in order to claim our masculinity and kind of to center um, the divine masculine in our work as well. And I mean, we can have a whole conversation of what is the divine masculine? I think that's a very nebulous thing and it's worth talking about. We're not gonna come to any sort of answers that everyone's going to agree on, but that's basically my story. Also, I grew up on episodes of Bewitched. You know, so they were all, <laughs> all the men were warlocks. So there you go. Yeah, I love that. I grew up on Bewitched <laughs> as well. And I, I gravitate towards warlock as, as well for the same reason. <laughs> that's that's funny. I, I think it's really interesting what you said there about redefining masculinity a little bit, because I grew up in that era as well, where if you didn't fit a certain macho stereotype, you were a sissy or you weren't really a man. And... I think that we still see, even in our in our queer communities, we see this sort of stereotype or very narrow mold 
of what masculinity has to be. You know, a right. more feminine presenting gay men really struggle. And we see a lot of backlash against femininity in our male Absolutely. expression. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's something that we all need to be very aware of. You know, on the surface, we might think, oh, the gay community, you know, would be so accepting. And I feel like we should be. And I'm always extra offended when I see that we're not, you know, as a group. I kind of feel like any minority, anybody who's been oppressed should know better. And yet in our minority community, we see that there's still a lot of shadow work to be done. You know, and so, and that really does manifest as even casual misogyny. I mean, that is kind of the big thing in the, in the quote unquote masculine world anyway, right? Masculinity is a trait that is fragile. It is easily revoked. You know, if you step outside this very narrow definition, then, oh, suddenly, you know, they're going to call you a fag, you're queer, you're a fairy. You know, I heard all those things, you know, growing up and I, now I embrace them all. They're, they're, they're um, in terms of power for me you know, because I have done that work, you know, around them. I mean, that's a lot of shadow work. You know, there's a lot of in internalized homophobia that I think needs to be addressed. Um, but it does manifest often as misogyny because that's like the biggest insult, right? In the masculine world, the biggest ins insult you could hurl at someone else is to accuse them of being feminine. You know, as if femininity is something deplorable, you know, right? But in the, ma in the toxic masculinity world, that it is right and so that's the biggest thing you and, and you see that casually in our culture you know you watch any like movie in which there's a sports team and there's a locker room you know the coach comes in and addresses all the guys there hey ladies you know whatever and it's meant to put everybody kind of down you know it's meant yeah. to you know keep everybody um you know in this weird kind of very rigid hierarchy you know so for me to use the word warlock i'm not trying to get away from the feminine you know, but I am trying to raise up, you know, the masculine to kind of rise up and, and greet divinity, you know, in, in, in its own way. So it's, it's about working through toxic masculinity, you know, addressing yeah. that, um, but also having fun with it. I, I think my feeling about Warlock also is that, um, you know, obviously it was used as an insult. Like so many of the terms that we in the queer community rally around now you know, they were used as insults against us. But once we take the power away from it and we start using it ourselves as, as a positive, then it really can't be that much of an insult anymore. I can't take your power away anymore. And so, so that's another reason that I, I choose Warlock. Yeah, yeah, very powerful. And definitely we, we still have a lot of internalized homophobia and misogyny to work on in our community. So You've been in a lot of different traditions of witchcraft and done a lot of things and you're, and you've t you're teaching a lot. What is it that first drew you as, as a gay boy or whenever it was that you, that you started your path, what drew you to witchcraft specifically? I honestly think the thing that first drew me was just, you know, the allure of power. I'm not going to lie. You know, this <laughs> idea that like, Oh, you could kind of subvert, you know, the established rules you know, by, it's almost like a, you know, a reality hack, right? I mean, that's kind of how we kind of see magic in any way. It's like, oh, using this, this lesser known set of rules in order to kind of bypass society's rules, right? And so yeah. as a little queer boy, you know, before I even knew I was queer, you know, I did feel out of place. I felt othered and I didn't know why, you know, but then 
here's these agreed runs of Bewitched. And, and that's really <laughs> the theme also of, I mean, they're using witchcraft as kind of the, the comedic theme, you know, but it is really a story of an outsider trying to blend in. It's actually a very queer coded story. Not, oh, yeah. not even taking in consideration how many actual queer people worked on that show, you know, and, <laughs> and like basically all of, almost all of the men that appeared on that show were queer, almost, not all of them, but almost all of them. And, um, you know, and I think that I kind of subconsciously identified with that without recognizing why, you know, um, but I just was always drawn to magic and, you know, fairy tales. If it was a witch, I just, there was something about the witch. I just loved, I loved the witches. I mean, like, I loved all magic, but the witches, especially that just really drew me later. I would get more of a psychological appreciation for things like ritual and working on the shadow, you know, self-empowerment. You know, but those were not the initial things, I will admit, the dreamy. I mean, I, I could say that and try to sound all cool, you know, but no, it was power. I, I was because I probably felt a little powerless, a little rudderless at the time. But I was very young. I was two years old when I told my mother I was going to be a witch. And again, not to do with self-empowerment, more to do with Samantha Stevens. But hey, got to start somewhere. Yeah, yeah. And Bewitched <laughs> was just incredibly queer there were even a lot of queer women on that show uh agnes yeah. moorhead i believe one of the actresses that played tabitha later came out um and, you know and of course everyone loves uncle arthur so <laughs> absolutely absolutely so, so yeah um wonderful yeah I, I and i i find it interesting that queer gay men in particular that i've talked to who are in witchcraft it's usually that sort of otherness of the witch and their own otherness as a queer person that sort of draws them towards that as a spiritual path. So um, in talking about this definition of queer spirituality and really making our queerness part of our spirituality, not something that's sort of separate, and also our sexuality, um, you know, let's talk a little bit about the Satyr's Kiss because this book is is about gay sex magic and to my knowledge it's one of the first if not the first published book that really delves into this idea of queer sex magic so what was that like to even like get that book out to the public let's see i i'm not a hundred percent sure it's the first book that deals with queer sex magic um I remember there was a book, I'm not going to say what it is because I didn't like it, but but there was a book that I read. It might actually be in the bibliography, you know, but um, there was a book I read that was on that subject, but it didn't really tell you anything. You know, it right. was like it purported to be about this and yet it was more of a memoir and it didn't really give me anything practical, you know, and I, and I ended up, sure. I was recommended to me and then I was like, oh, this is actually terrible. You know, so, you know, so again, I don't want to say what it is because I'm not in the habit of putting other people's work down. If, if I like your stuff, I'll promote it. If I don't like it, I just won't talk about it. Um, but in terms of like what the Satyr's Kiss is, it's the first of its kind anyway. I, I think that, and please, if somebody else out there wrote something else, let me know. I mean, there's other things that kind of intersect it but not sure. quite what I presented in the Satyr's Kiss, which is a healthy dose of sex magic, you know, for, for solo practitioners, for couples and even groups. And that was something in particular that I really wanted to put in there. I wanted to help kind of normalize um, plural relationships. 
Um, I, I'm in a plural relationship, you know, um, there's four of us now, we're a tetrad. And um, that still rubs a lot of people the wrong way. And um, even people that were accepting when my husband Chaz and I, when we got Devin and um, we became a triad, that kind of was an upset for a lot of people. They didn't really understand what was going on. But then, you know, Devin's been with us 13 years. And, you know, so that's a good chunk of time for people to accept it. And then we got Matt, you know, um, a couple years ago. And um, then people once again were like, what the heck's going on? So I feel like polyamory is definitely something that I want to keep talking about. And so I had this perfect opportunity to kind of put those values in this, in this book as well. Not to say that this is what people should be doing. You know, I'm not sure. going to tell people what their relationship models should be. Um, but I am going to say, this is what we're doing and this is what's working for us right now. And it's worked for us this amount of time and, you know, whatever. And maybe that can help somebody else to see, Hey, it's not all about this, you know, it has to be one-on-one. -on -one. I also don't want to like give the impression that I'm getting down on monogamous relationships, sure. you know, it, because I think that's just as valid, you know, but a plural relationship is just as valid as, as a monogamous right. one. It, it's, it's all about the individual boundaries, you know, what everyone's needs are, a lot of communication, trying to do things ethically, you know, but I don't think we need to follow this particular model for everyone. You know, so I definitely wanted that to be in the Sager's Kiss. But outside of the sexual stuff, I also wanted to put a, a good dose of queer history, you know, recognizing that I'm not an academic, I'm not, I'm not a historian, but I put in a lot of different queer figures from history who were not connected to the craft in any way, but I claim them as what I call the rainbow dead, because I think it's so important that we recognize the contributions that queer people have made and that we feel a sense of connection to them. We not, they might not be from our particular culture or our, our race or religion or any of that stuff, but they are part of the overall queer culture that has been emerging for honestly thousands of years. And, it, and we, we find ourselves in this very, um, um, I don't know, we find ourselves in this place in which we can see our history and we can see how things have changed, but here we are now and and we need to really honor what has come before so again kind of that old adage about the ancestors if we stand tall it's because we're standing on their shoulders i also wanted us to remember the older queers you know the, yeah. a lot of the rights that we take for granted today you know they literally fought and died for and i so i think it's vitally important that we remember their contribution because also it could go that way again you know yeah. just because we have certain rights today doesn't mean we're going to have them tomorrow. I mean, here in the United States, they're actively working to take them away, you right. know, and call me an alarmist, you know, but I can see which way the wind is blowing. You know, this is, yeah. this is not cool. And, and I think that we have to be very aware of that. We have to keep talking. And, and that means sharing ourselves, the, the fullness of ourselves, especially when it's uncomfortable. You know, I don't necessarily yeah. like talking about my personal relationship, you know, with the world, but, uh, but to a degree, I feel like I have to, you know, because if I'm able to share, you know, a little bit about that, maybe that's going to help somebody else kind of sort through their own stuff, their own shadow stuff with it. So that's why I do what I do. Yeah, absolutely. So a couple of things there that I think are really, you know, I've been, I've been in poly relationships myself in the past. My husband and I are now monogamous. Um, known lots of people like yourself who are polyamorous 
And it was always funny to me during the gay marriage debate that one of the big things that was the slippery slope was, well, then there might be group marriage. And it's like, oh, what if, you know, it just was such a like silly thing for people to be so afraid of. What right. so what if there was group marriage? What if that did happen? Like, who's that harming? Yeah, um, I'm it always that felt happens. really absurd. <laughs> I, of course, yeah. I, I totally hope that happens. It always felt, felt absurd to me that we, we can't have that because what is marriage but a contract? And right. you know, and so I kind of feel like, well, if we're all legal adults, we should be able to enter into whatever contract we want to, you know. And if we're not allowed to, then that's not exactly freedom. You know, no, it's not. And it and it's and it's really that in our country, we've conflated certain religious ideas and perspectives with the legal framework of this contract that actually creates the marriage. We've yes. taken the 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 spiritual ritual and conflated it with the legal construct. And for some reason, we've been unable to separate that, even with gay marriage coming along and being legalized. I really like that you're teaching history in the book and that you're talking about our history, because that's something that I feel very passionately about, that it's very important. And Michael and I, Michael Lloyd, who was my co-facilitator and co-founder of Between the Worlds, um, for years, we referred to a lot of the Rainbow Dad as our queer queer ancestors, our, our spirit ancestors. You know, a lot of gay men don't have children. So we don't have descendants in the same way that heterosexual couples do. And so really thinking about those people that came before us as our queer ancestors, I think is a very powerful way to think about them. But also just we lost nearly an entire generation of queer men right. to the AIDS epidemic. And there's really a gap in that knowledge of our own history. And with the current attacks on the queer community, it's really important that we know what has come before so that we don't accidentally find ourselves back there so that we know to get fired up about it. Yeah. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't that long ago. I, you know, when I was a kid, you know, probably early teens, I mean, this is kind of the height of the AIDS crisis at the time. And, you know, we all owe a great debt to the group act up, you know, yes. who really made it visible and wasn't going to shut up. I mean, that's where I got the slogan, right? Silence equals death. Right. And it was because our government hadn't even mentioned, you know, thousands and thousands of queer men are dying and others, you know, dying of this disease at the time, and they're not even mentioning it. And part of that is, of course, because a lot of people thought, well, it was killing the right people. Right. And, you know, and I think that we have to recognize that there's, there's a good chunk of society that would rather see us dead. And I don't want to dwell on the negative, but I don't think anything is served by pretending it's not there, you know? Yeah. And, and yeah. it is there. And the only way that we can combat that is to continue to tell our stories, um, to continue to stand up for what we think is right, to call things out when we see injustice in the world. We have to speak truth to power. We, we have to, you know, shine a light, you know, on that. Um, and that's the only way things change. It's only through confrontation. And, you know, yeah. not everybody is in a position to be able to do that. And that's fine. If you're not safe doing that, then you don't do that. But, you know, I consider myself in a safe place. You know, I live in the San Francisco Bay Area, and that's a pretty safe, you know, place. Um, you know, I, I work from home, you know, whatever. So yeah, that makes right. me a little safer too. Hello. Um, right. So that's what I do. I speak out because I know a lot of other people can't. 
And so yeah. I, I feel that it's my responsibility to do because I can, but not everybody can. And, and so sure. if you can't, then you shouldn't feel bad about not just, I think the most important thing is to live your life, you know, unapologetically. I think that's the biggest political statement any of us can really make is to simply live our lives authentically. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I'm in Ohio, which isn't exactly the safest state, but I am in a big city and I do work from home as well and have a platform that I can safely speak up. Um, but there are people in some of the small towns in Ohio that certainly cannot um, and, and probably right. shouldn't until they, exactly. until they feel ready to move away. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, those are real concerns, yeah. right? I mean, yeah. for, we can be targeted for the smallest little thing or even just, you know, something that's perceived. It might not even be true. Yeah. You know, I, I know um, some straight male friends of mine who have been perceived as being queer and so have received violence, you know, yes. um, because of that. You know, so it's not just, you know, happening to queer people. It's happening to people just based on somebody's perception. And, and it's because they were taught that that was okay. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, it, yeah. It, it all comes back to this toxic masculinity you were talking about. Someone who isn't in that toxic masculinity, who's perhaps absolutely straight, but maybe they present a little more feminine or they have a little too much empathy or little too much right. style and they're perceived as something else and othered and then targeted in that way. And it all just kind of comes back to that, to that same issue of the toxic masculine culture that we have in you know, in our society today. Um, one of the things I really wanted to sort of ask you about that I'm, I'm curious on your thoughts about is writing a, a book on gay sex magic. Um, we have in our queer community a little bit of a, a of a hookup culture and a little bit of a, mm -hmm. a somewhat unbalanced obsession with sex and with um, judging other people based on whether you want to shag them or not. Right. Like, right, you know, right. you don't really see people being friends with older men because there's automatically that assumption that the older person wants something in return. Right. Mm -hmm. And I've given workshops in the past on, on gay sex magic, and they sometimes attracted a certain type of person that really wasn't there for the spirituality, if you know what I mean. And oh, so yes. I'm curious, like how much <laughs> have you experienced you that? <laughs> um, well, with the book, I haven't experienced that much of it, honestly, because I think, you know, if they're if they read the book, then they know where I'm coming from, you know, right. and uh, when, you know, and in person, you know, or, or in my regular teachings, you know, I do teach sex magic, but it's certainly not like, the scandal that people want it to be, you sure. know, um, you know, it's actually, depending on your point of view, you might look at that and be like, that's really boring. Like, you know, what, because you know, I'm, no <laughs> one's taking off their clothes, you know, whatever I'm, right. I'm like giving an actual assignment, go and do it and report back and, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, I've taught um, in-person group classes in sex magic. And, you know, the first thing I will say is like, no one's going to take off their clothes. You know, we're not actually going to have sex with each other, but it is about kind of, um, almost redefining, well, what do you mean by sex, right? And so, right. Um, we're, you know, I'm not taking that Bill Clinton-esque definition, you know, whatever. I'm like, yeah. come on, um, sex is sex. It doesn't matter what way you did it, sex, sex is sex. And you don't even really have to take your clothes off, right? Sex is really a blending. It's much more about energy than it is about bodies touching, you know? And so 
I've often said that, well, you can have an intense sexual experience by watching a beautiful sunset, you know, or listening to an opera or having a fabulous meal, you know, paired with the perfect wine or whatever. And and it's because this new energy comes in and it's the sensual explosion and it opens up our energy body and we become energetically permeable. And to me, that's really the core of what's happening in sex. And, um, but a lot of people really wanted to focus on salacious details um, yes. But those people quickly reveal themselves to not be, you know, right, you know, for the particular group or, you know, for that. We did used to have many, many years ago when I had the shop, we had a group that was open to the public for a while. Um, that was a queer men's pagan group and Brotherhood of the Seder. Um, it since became private because um, we realized, oh, no, we were getting a weird element, you know, showing yeah. up. Even years after it went private, I remember somebody actually called the shop and they were looking for that group. And um, in the, the, the phone conversation that I had with this gentleman, and I'm using the term loosely, um, he, had, he revealed to me um, the measurements of his rather large endowment and how um, you know, he was looking forward to coming to this group so he could share that with everyone. And I thought, this is just not anything like what we even advertised you know, back in the day. <laughs> Right. We never like took our clothes off. It wasn't, you know, you know, it was open to the public. We weren't about to do anything like that. Even when we went private, it was a group of friends. We never did actually sex magic with each other. We never even right. did skyclad ritual, you know, not because yeah. we're prudish, but it just, that wasn't part of our agenda, you know, yeah. but so many people think, oh, queer men, therefore it must, must have sex. Right. Um, so I definitely in the book wanted to have sex in there because I do think it's important to have spaces in which that's available, you know, where that's allowed. Um, even like looking at like hookup culture, you know, I don't think all of that is bad. You know, I've certainly participated in, in hookup culture. It's when it becomes the norm and then you're unable, you're unable to form, you know, actual lasting relationships with people. That's the problem. Right. Yeah. It's not the hookups it's the objectification. Themselves. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And, and you know, it's no longer seeing this human being as a human being. It's just an right. opportunity for you to have sexual release. And if that's the case, I think you're doing everybody a favor if you just jerk off. You know, you yeah. know whatever. Let's you know. But you know, also some people are into that. You know, they want to be objectified, and so here's a good opportunity for people to meet each other <laughs> and be able to do those things. But again, that's kind of like eating candy, yeah. you know, you, I don't think you should have, you shouldn't just only eat candy. You're going to get sick. You yeah. know, your needs aren't going to be met, you know? So yeah. But in the book, I definitely want there to be a sexual element because it's so easy to go the other way. It, it's so easy to look at like something like hookup yes. culture and be like, Oh, that's bad. And therefore sex is bad. And I'm going to be pious now you know, what, oh, I'm spiritual. I'm not sexual. I'm spiritual as if these are opposite ends, you know, the yes. spectrum and they embody each other, you know, sex is spiritual, you know, even like hot kinky sex is spiritual, you know, sure. but it's not so spiritual that it's only spiritual. You know what I mean? You know, yeah. the, the, the people go the other direction and they're just like, oh, it can only be in this overtly spiritual way to elevate me to ascend or, you know, whatever. And, you know, sometimes sex can just be hot and you can just get off and that can be a spiritual thing too. It is pleasure. Pleasure is good for you. 
you know, absolutely. So I, I want to find this mid ground. You know, yes, it's spiritual, but it's not um, transcending the body. You know, right. the body is not something to abandon, to transcend, or to think of as lower vibrations. We get into that spiritual vibration through the body. You know, it's about recognizing well, they both right. operate in the same space. It's not binary; it's quantum. Yeah, I mean, we're 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 in physical form for a reason, and denying the the whole experience of our physicality is really losing a whole big piece of the puzzle of like why are we here and it's because our absolutely some uh, yeah we were we came here to experience these things um i really like that you focus on the middle um because i think that's really what the core problem is sometimes in the community that leads to this like you know no femmes no no blacks, no fats, yeah. all of this. And, and into that objectification is that it's the extremes. It's the people who are either so pious and so like prudish that you can't mention sexuality at all. It's all got to be, you know, lofty and spiritual. Or you got the people that, it, that it, it gets into this like hardcore objectification where you aren't even willing to, to talk to another person if you're not physically attracted to them, which is really missing out on a, on, on a big piece. And, um, you know, when I came out in the eighties during the AIDS epidemic, the queer community was a little tighter knit and we were, there definitely was a lot less of that. Um, you know, it was still there and, you know, we still, we still had sex for sex sake, but it was definitely, um, less so. And I think in, in some ways it's almost like if you give a child free access to candy, they're going to eat too much. And it's almost like the internet and apps and things have sort of done that. It's made it so accessible that there's kind of a, too much of it going on. Um, one of the things that I talked to another guest, a previous guest about that I think was really interesting and, and, and you're similar age as, as us, um, the, role that gay bars for so long played in creating community. And now that has sort of moved away and everything is sort of revolves around the internet or apps. How do you feel that has impacted our ability to form strong communities? And what can we do to form strong communities in absence of some of those meeting places? Yeah, I, I think it, has adversely affected our community at large because it used to be that we would actually gather in person right, right. and we could interact with people and you do get a greater sense of, of of bonding you know when you are you know with people and you see them like oh i'm seeing them at the club every week or you know whatever that was my experience you know growing up um but now with app culture, it takes it away from community and places the emphasis on individuals. And, you know, it certainly has its place. Um, I'm not saying get rid of apps, you know, right. but I do think that we need to look at that and recognize what's not being served, you know, by the apps. And again, that that is a physical location that people can actually show up to, you know, and, and meet other people. And have an opportunity to talk to other people, maybe people that you don't want to have sex with. What a concept, right? Actually have a conversation <laughs> with somebody. Um, yeah, so I'd like to see more of an emphasis um, focused on building queer spaces that are not virtual. You know, I'm not saying yeah. 
get rid of the virtual spaces at all. We absolutely need them. We probably need more of them. Um, but we also really need those physical spaces. You know, I, I want to just, you know, kind of honor, you know, you and Michael Lloyd for a moment because, you know, you were putting together the Between the Worlds um, festival I attended for several years in a row. As you know, I was a keynote speaker one year. And that was such a profound experience to be able to have, you know, to go to this place out in the woods. And here's a bunch of other queer men, you know, queer, you know, spiritual pagan men. And we can share our magic and maybe we can share our love and, you know, whatever it is, share some meals. And it was a beautiful, beautiful experience and not one that I knew that I needed until I actually had it. You know, I sure. remember that first year by, by the next day, I felt like, oh, all of my shields are down. I didn't even know that I went through life with all of these shields up, you know, just as a default. But then being in that very queer centered space, they just were able to fall away and I was able to more fully relax. And it was such a profound experience for me. I will say it was life-changing, you know, to be able to be in a situation like that and much different than like the bar culture, you know, as well, you know, with the bar culture, first of all, usually it's at night and yeah. um, it's, it centers around things that can be problematic, you know, not just yeah. the sex thing, but also alcohol and drug use. Um, mm -hmm. I'm, you know, I will say I'm a fan of alcohol and drug use. I'm not a fan of abusing those things. You know, there is a difference. Um, but for a lot of people, they are especially problematic. And so maybe yes. we need more queer coffee shops. You know, maybe we need more queer bookstores, you know, things that aren't centered around, you know, the use of substances um, or clandestine encounters. Again, you have apps if you want to do that. Um, but I think we need to focus on more spaces, you know, for queer people to be able to gather physically. You know, I, I I'd like to see more of that happen. You know, more yeah. more queer festivals, please. Hint hint. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, not really doing queer festivals anymore. I don't camp, but um, retreats are are definitely something that. Oh yeah, we were talking a little bit about that before yeah. we started recording, and I'm with you. I'm I'm 52, and I don't want to camp anymore. Unless camping yeah. means I have a cabin with heat and, you know, yeah. an actual bed, you know, so I'm at that level now, but that's kind of what we're focusing on. You know, I, I you know, yeah. I have some stuff in the works, not necessarily for a, a specific queer audience, but for a witch audience, we're thinking about that. And I'm like, but sure. I can't camp. It has to be yeah. a hotel. It has to be like yeah. cabins at least. So yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm totally with Give you. Give a shower, and, you know, I'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, and, and when I read BTW, it's amazing how many people were interested but wouldn't come because they they weren't comfortable camping so you know there's definitely an opportunity to reach even more people with something that isn't camping <laughs> so yeah totally yeah. i mean i get it i and I, I camped for a while and i loved it you know yeah. but that was many years ago and i'm just like now i totally get it when people say oh i'm too old for this you know i'm like oh, yeah i feel you girl i'm, I'm too yeah. old for i'm too old <laughs> To have to sleep on an air mattress and then wake up on the ground the next day anyway. I mean that was that was always how things would happen for me. Like oh my yes. god, really? Just give me just give me a bed. Just give me a shower and a bed and an actual toilet and I'll be fine. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anything other than that? No thanks. I totally <laughs> totally with you on that. Totally with you. Um, what what else would you want to share with the audience that we haven't gotten to? Is there anything sort of really burning in your heart that you just really want to get out to queer people? I mean, I think we've touched on really my main message, which is I, I really want queer people to be able to center 
our own queer lives in our spiritual practice and not feel like our queer lives are something like secondary or something that's outside our spiritual practice. You know, so many people in the witchcraft movement, so many queer people I know are operating within traditions that are really heteronormative. And I'm not here to get down on traditions, you know, for their heteronormativity or their queerness or, you know, whatever, wherever they fall, you know, on that spectrum. But I think for queer people, we need to recognize that maybe this heteronormative mystery isn't our mystery and maybe that's okay, you know? And we don't have to say, oh, it's it's awful and no one should do it. Well, no, you know, what is it? 90 plus percent of people, you know, are probably heterosexual. And, you know, I think that works great for them. You know, I think straight people, if they're working in like a Gardnerian or Gardnerian-esque, you know, um, paradigm, that's going to affirm most people. <laughs> However, yeah. that's not me. That doesn't affirm me. And that doesn't mean that, um, that I'm bad. You know, it just means that maybe I need something else that's going to speak to me. And so that was another big motivator for the Seder's Kiss was I wanted to kind of touch on these things kind of bringing it up saying, Hey, I, I I'm doing this. And if you want to join me, you, you can do this too, or some version thereof. You know, I, I don't want people to do exactly what I'm doing. Cause I'm not, I'm not sure. trying to like tell people what to do or build an army or any of that kind of stuff, but, but <laughs> I want to inspire people. You know, I'm hoping that I can inspire people to make their own rituals and to center their own queer experiences. You know, one, one of the simple things that I, I wrote about in the book in terms of, of a ritual structure you know, if you're already casting a circle or whatnot, you know, I, I was saying one thing that we could do is maybe orient ourselves or maybe orient the altar to the direction of the Stonewall Inn. You know, right. where are we in relation to the Stonewall Inn? And because that can help us remember our history, but give us a, a place in our physical space-time location where we have a relationship to this thing. It's not just this amorphous thing that happened in the past. It happened in a physical location that is real and and yeah. we can affirm that by simply just even facing that direction in a ritual sense. Now, of course, it doesn't have to be Stonewall. It could be anything else. There were so many other moments in queer sure. history that we might want to do that with, you know, but so what inspires you? You know, what, what does it inspire in you? If I say, take your queer lives, our queer history, our queer experiences, and make that the center of our spiritual path. What does that mean for you? Because it's, yeah. it's, I guarantee you, it's going to look different for me than it does for you. And that's what's so beautiful in my mind about a queer craft is that it is going to be changeable and different and that's okay. In fact, that's an affirmation of its validity. Right, right. People get hung up on this idea of tradition and like the, like the other witch traditions have somehow been around forever, even though they've all come out of people doing exactly that, taking something and making it their own and making it something that spoke to them and creating a tradition around that. And we can do the same thing as queer people with what we want to resonate with in our rights. So I think that's a really powerful um, point to be sharing with people. Um, I believe you mentioned that you you had a special offer for people who were listening today. Did you want to share that? Oh, thank you. Yeah. So um, you'd mentioned our our school, our our, our course in witchcraft, Black Rose. Um, so I am here to offer a free month. It, it's a it's a thirteen. I'm going to put it in air quotes. Thirteen month 
um, course. Uh, lessons unlock every week. Um, the upfront price, if you pay for the whole thing, is, is $250, or you could do it um, by the month, which is $25 a month. Um, but if you use the special code MAGISTER, that's M-A-G-I-S-T-E-R, then you can get your first month free. So you can kind of dip your toe into the water. But if you go to modernwitchuniversity.com, you'll see all of the classes that we're currently offering. We're about to unveil some more soon, so stay tuned. But if you click on you know, classes, you find Black Rose in there, then you can just use that discount code. And then you can kind of see if this is, is going to be something for you. It's a pretty good... Um, group of people. We have a private Discord server, so there's a lot of activity, you know, going on over there. Um, we have um, various weekly chats that happen. There are some different events that will happen for members of Black Rose. Um, you also get um, special um, um, discounts on, on certain other things, you know, from our store, .com, um, as well as discounted sessions with me. If you want to have a session, you know, a one-on-one -on -one live session with me, you can get that at a discounted rate. Um, but yeah, I'm encouraging everyone to check that out. You can go to blackrosewitchcraft.com and it should take you right there. Just sign up for a free account and then use that code MAGISTER to get your first month free. And um, yeah, we've, we've been doing Black Rose since 2015 and it's, it's actually grown way beyond what we thought. It was, you know, we've had close to 1400 people, you know, sign wow. up. Um, for this class. Um, currently, our, I want to say our Discord server has close to 300 people actively, you know, on it. So it's a good group of people. And I feel very blessed um, because everybody is just there because they want to learn about the craft and share their magic with each other. And, and it, it's, it's been a really wonderful thing. And so that yeah. takes up most of my time. I'm the chancellor of the university. So I'm the one who's answering all the emails and figuring out account problems and, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, but it's, it's been really rewarding just to hear from people, you know, what they've been able to get out of the course and, and hopefully very soon, I got my fingers crossed, a Black Rose 2 um, level is going to be coming out. We're actively working on that. Um, so again, stay tuned. There's that and some other yeah. classes we hope to unveil pretty soon on the website. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. Kind of a weird synchronicity because I, we were in the process of trying to schedule this interview and I had purchased an out of print book through Amazon. And when it came, there was a black rose postcard <laughs> stuck in the middle of it. So really? So, yeah. Yeah. So oh I thought gosh, that was pretty, cool. pretty funny. Yeah. So <laughs> neat little piece of synchronicity there. So how do people get a hold of you or find out more about your work? Um, you could always go to my website. That's fairywolf.com. That's F-A-E-R-Y wolf.com. Um, there's no fear in fairy for some reason people want to misspell it so, <laughs> so there you go that's fairy a great Wolf. great slogan for it yeah <laughs> to get a t-shirt made um but yeah or you can go to modernwitchuniversity.com go to modernwitch.com um i have a podcast there's 30 episodes um for season one that's uh, and you can find that at witchpowerdaily.com um and that's a way for people to get a sense of how i offer my um, my teaching. Um, I do a lot of trance work with people. So Witch Power Daily is, there's 30 different episodes. So 30 different exercises where I'm leading you um, through either a guided um, exercise, trance journey, a spell or a ritual. Um, and 
hopefully in the next couple months, I'll start working on season two. Um, <laughs> we'll see. But yeah, you could go to any, any of those websites, but it's all linked to my website at fairywolf.com. So you can, you can find anything that I do there. My, my services, you could book a private sessions with me. Um, I sell art. Someone's at the um, front door. Trying to make it all work. So <laughs> Great. Yeah, wonderful. And we'll we'll include all the links um, in the description for the podcast for the people that, that want to see this. So thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, wonderful. Well, thank you for for joining me, Storm, and for sharing some of your insights. It's been really interesting. And I'm I think that, you know, just we've covered a lot of ground in in 40 minutes or so. So thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much for not only inviting me on, but for having this space available. I think it's so necessary that we make these kind of, um, you know, sojourns into, into queer consciousness and to share that with each other. So thank you for doing the work that you do. Thank you for that. past episodes of this podcast at www.queerspirituality.net. That's www.queerspirituality.net. Let me know what you think on Instagram at queer underscore spirituality, or continue the discussion with like-minded people in the Queer Spirituality Facebook group. You can find it linked from the Queer Spirituality Facebook page or on the homepage of the Queer Spirituality website. Bright blessings. Thank you.